Aloha. 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 Oh, God, no. <laughs> Simon loves Aloha. I love Aloha. The Aloha <laughs> spirit it's runs straight through this podcast. It's fantastic. Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Well, welcome to Mr. Spike Reed. It's great to have you on SUP FM. Hello, and good morning. And good morning. We have Simon Hutchinson there in the background as well. So how are you doing, Simon? I'm doing very, very well, thank you. Fantastic. Now, Spike, you've got a fascinating history already. How, I mean, you've, you've been around Martinique. You've been paddleboarding across the UK. Should we just start off with a little bit about uh, how you actually got into paddleboarding itself? Certainly. Uh, I worked at the Royal Geographical Society in London uh, for three and a half years. And whilst I was there, I got very involved in the Explore Weekend, which runs every November, uh, to basically feed back information from expeditions and also inspire future expeditions and field work. And there I met a gentleman called David Cornthwaite, and uh, he's a, an amazing adventurer. And he uh, is the gentleman who did the paddleboarding down the length of the Mississippi, uh, quite, a, quite a long distance. And he then uh, invited me to join him and three others on the first circumnavigation of the island of Martinique by paddleboard. Okay, so that was the first time you ever supped. I thought you were like a bit of a sup uh, fanatic before then. So you just got on the board and went around Martinique, right? I'd done a short trip from Reading down to London last summer. Um, uh, paddleboarding, uh, but before that, uh, so I'm fairly new to it. I've only been in it for about ten months now. Okay, but that, um, I'd just love to to go a little bit further back to the Royal Geographical Society because that's quite an esteemed organisation. How did you get involved there? So uh, they run uh, a series of, of bursaries and grants for expeditions. Uh, we applied for the Land Rover Royal Geographical Society Go Beyond bursary and um, somehow managed to win it the first year it was run. And with the funding uh, and the provision of a Land Rover Defender, we did a circumnavigation of the whole world along the line of 50 degrees north. And we, along the way, we did a series of case studies looking at the social impact of climate change, how it's affecting primary sector workers, farmers and the like. OK, so you've been around the world already. Mm-hmm. But uh, cheating, well, I, didn't... I was using an engine. <laughs> Oh, well, it's not cheating there. It's still, still a hell of a journey. I didn't know you were an accomplished adventurer already. Yeah, uh, I've also got involved in the mountaineering through people I've met at the society um, and have undertaken quite a few uh, first ascents uh, expeditions, um, trekking through uh, the friendly part of Afghanistan, uh, new peaks in Central Asia, um, and now I'm qualified as an international mountain leader. Wow. So have you met Sir Ranulph Fiennes? So I worked with him on the Coldest Journey expedition. Uh, I was supporting it from the UK, from the warmth of the UK. Uh, but that was uh, an attempt by Saranov and five uh, of his teammates to do the first ever winter crossing of Antarctica. And I was the education liaison officer back here in the UK, getting the message out to schools and to universities. And and so what does that involve? Did you go around and do lots of speeches and, and exactly what what, what did you do? Yeah, so I did a lot of, lot of school talks and, and getting the message out because 
some people go, well, oh, I, I, who's going to be the next Ranulph Fines? There's not going to be the next Ranulph Fines, um, but you can go out there and uh, find the adventure that suits you, whether it's climbing a mountain that's never been summited before or descending a river by paddleboard uh, that's never been paddleboarded down before or just finding an adventure in your hometown and hopefully uh, inspire some of these young people uh, to, to seek a challenge um, a first time for them. Absolutely. And that and finding an adventure in your home, I really love myself as well. Like, for example, um, I'm sure you're aware of Alistair Humphreys and his micro adventure program. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, fully support that. And I um, think that micro adventures is a good program. And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of focusing on adventures in your own backyard, uh, which mm -hmm. has lots of similarities, but it doesn't need to be short. Uh, and I've recently, yeah, we just completed a trip that was nine long days on the paddleboards and although um it was close to home it was a big adventure sure so let's get into that trip because uh, we can go we can hop back to um your circumnavigation of martinique a little bit later but let's talk about the the cross uk trip so you went from bristol to patney on a paddleboard right yes yeah, certainly uh, we set off uh just over a week ago um and we caught, had to get up early doors and catch that early morning tide because Bristol has got a huge tidal range. Uh, that morning there was 13 meters of tide at Avon mouth. Um, you get that wrong and you're not going to be able to paddle against it. So uh, we caught the tide up from near the mouth of the river um, and up through cliff to underneath Clifton suspension bridge uh, up to Bristol. What about what about the tidal bore? When does that occur? Because I know that's a, a really fun thing. That actually goes up the river, right? So that goes up the river adjacent to the Avon, uh, the Severn. And it was very distracting. I mean, if we got sucked out the wrong way, we'd end up going up the Severn and we could have caught the bore, uh, which would be a good way to cover lots of distance. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. it's not on the Avon. Okay. So the Avon, um, so how far can you get up the Avon before you have to switch rivers and, or canals? So uh, we paddled up uh, over a day and a half up to Bath. Um, and luckily the water levels and flow rate was quite low. So we weren't paddling hard against a, a raging river. Um, and then we switched over to the canal um, it, just after Bath. And, and that's the Kennet and Avon Canal that stretches all the way across the country uh, to join the Thames at Reading. Okay. So, so um, Spike, what sort of challenges did you run up against? Because obviously canals, you've got locks and narrow boats and so on competing for the space. Yeah, there's a whole lot of locks. There's over 100 locks on the Kennet and Avon Canal. Uh, so we became, uh, shamely, uh, experts in portage. Um, we were just doing portage after portage. Um, and, and the biggest challenge was Cane Hill. Uh, which is just before Devizes, uh, where the, the Devizes Westminster race starts from. And that is 29 locks over just a few miles. Um, wow. And uh, that's a lot of carrying, carrying all of our camping equipment. We didn't have a support team. It was just a bunch of friends doing this adventure in our own backyard. How many of you were there? So there was two of us, uh, myself and David Altebev, who did the, the whole distance. And then we had five friends who joined us for various sections um, and uh, and kept the morale going after some long days on the boards. And um, as you said, it was no support at all. You just camped on the side of the river. Yeah, so we'd uh, sometimes find a good pub and uh, pubs let us camp in their 
uh, beer gardens occasionally um, and other times we just tucked into a little bit of woodland or uh, an empty farmer's field uh, as long as it didn't have a bull in it. <laughs> you had a bull in it? No, no, no we, che- we did check. Is that the first thing to look for in a paddock? Where is the bull? <laughs> yeah, which, which is more dangerous, the bull or the farmer with the shotgun? Yeah, I guess they could both be equally scary. Yeah. But talking about portages and equipment and things, um, did you carry all your equipment on, on the front and back placements on the board and then every single time you portage you have to take them off or, or how exactly did your kit work? So we had some fantastic Origin paddleboards and some Joby paddleboards and they uh, were touring boards and had the lashing points on the front um, and we had all our kit packed up in uh, aquapack dry bags on the front uh, so that if we did flip or the rain came down then things would stay dry um, but we had quite a load so um, it was a we did two-man lifts so you just kind of pull up uh, get the front out of the water and then two-man lifts come back and then get the second board um, and we actually got it kind of down to kind of quite a uh, swift action um, kind of once your shoulders get used to kind of carrying that big load uh, or sometimes just sitting it on your head yeah because would that be more efficient than actually taking off the kit every single time you went to portage yeah yeah I mean that you can do that and then do it solo just by taking the kit off and then putting it back on again but the amount of work that would have just taken day in day out for those well over 100 locks it would have been uh, slowed us down a great deal yeah that was my next question is how many locks did you do 100 that's a lot huh? yeah yeah, and um, we got it. We got uh, used to them. Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, it's just uh, just eighteen logs today, unlike the twenty-five we did yesterday. Oh, that's great. That's far less. <laughs> Must have got really fit. Are you fairly exhausted right now? Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm still fighting fit. I uh, had a good shoulder massage, sports massage yesterday, uh, and back in the game and planning uh, a few more paddleboarding trips um, uh, over the weekend and a bit further in the future. Um, just another question about the equipment and the kit. Obviously, lightness is the thing, particularly if you've got to carry it between so many locks. What sort of um, sleeping arrangements did you have in terms of tents, or did you have hammocks, or or what were your sort of arrangements there? So we had a uh, very lightweight kit. You just kind of shaved the kit down everywhere. And it's like, right, let's go for carbon paddle. We had some great carbon paddles from Ainsworth and uh, the new the new range. And we just looked at grams. And I'm kind of fairly particular about shaving off grams and grams and grams. Um, kind of right where you cut your toothbrush in half. And we were using lightweight uh tents um but often we would just uh, bivy um just pull out a bivy bag and just find a a place tuck in out of the wind and uh Mm. and get some sleep until you're up early at dawn to get back on the water that kept you nice and warm did it uh some nights were chilly but um especially after kind of the exertion kind of for the full day often we'd be on the water for about 12 hours um uh with with the odd break here and there um, but yeah, about 12 hours on the water camp to camp. What about um, heating things? You make fires, you could take a little gas stove with? Yeah, yeah, a little uh, little pocket rocket type stove. And uh, that kind of meant that you could get some hot food down you at the end of the day on the uh, water. And the all important British cup of tea, right? Absolutely. I mean, cup of tea does solve most situations. Um, and uh, getting that hot tea in you uh, makes you feel a lot better. So were there any stages at the trip where you just thought, oh, God, I just can't do this anymore? Uh, well, no, I was, I was like, I'm going to carry on doing this. Um, and there was a time when we were behind schedule. We were a full day behind where we had aimed to be. 
Um, and it was like, right, we're going to, are we going to extend it a day? Are we going to have to extend it two days? Um, and there were some big question marks about whether we could complete it to schedule. Um, but we pushed through and our pace got a lot faster. Admittedly, we were going downhill after devices pretty much. Um, but, uh, the flow again, didn't help us massively down the Thames because it's, it's, there's been so little rain in the UK. So it wasn't a wonderful torrent that we could, uh, get up a few miles an hour with um but we so there was some doubt in the middle but we pushed through and uh and, and finished on time and caught that tide down to putney oh, well done and what about the weather did it play along completely for you we had glorious sunshine um for pretty much throughout we had one day of overcastness with the, the odd shower but uh the sun was out um wonderfully contrary to many people's perception of the terrible british weather uh, and the only downside we had was uh, an easterly wind uh, against us, which is against the, the prevailing wind southwesterly, which would be great to have a nice tailwind. Um, but we had some long days on open flat sections of canal um, and just paddling into the wind all day. Yeah, that must be pretty daunting sometimes. Yeah, but it's just kind of keep going. Um, we can make it to this point where we plan to camp and, oh, check the map. Yep there is a pub just there and it's kind of that makes a good goal to get to that pub at the end of the day it sounds like pubs and tea the most crucial bits on this trip yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but um obviously you don't just get on a paddleboard chuck some kit on and go what what was the preparation like and, and how long was it and, and did you get any sponsorship involved yeah so we worked with uh several sponsors um keeping all your kit dry uh that's where aquapack uh came on board and massively helped us in um the provision of some some great holdalls um and and dry bags inside so some the kit that's essential electronics well not essential but essential to keep dry um kind of double wrapping that and then the boards um both our origin paddle boards uh, came on board and joby came on board uh but actually the the owner of origin uh one of the owners uh, neil uh, he's based in Switzerland, and he actually came over and joined us for the first three days uh, from uh, Bristol up to... Wow, that must have been nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good support. Absolutely, and uh, was able to give us some tips, and also uh, kind of we gave us some feedback about the boards, so the, the, the new boards are going to be uh, even better than the, the, the good touring boards they've got already. Um, and then Ainsworth uh, came on board as a sponsor, um, and... Um, Sorry, what's Ainsworth? Ainsworth Paddles, sorry. Uh, they okay. um, make a, a range of kayaking, canoeing, and stand-up paddles. Um, and they uh, they provided a range of paddles and also some a spare um, in case things went peat tongue. Uh, you don't want to be up the creek without a paddle. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not. So, but all these sponsors, I mean, surely they want some kind of feedback. Are you preparing a film or, or a blog post or, or what's the deal? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be preparing a, well, I am preparing a film. I've um, got a lot of clips um, and it's, uh, it's just going to be a short little film. Uh, and the aim of the film, the aim, aim of the whole trip was to say, you don't need to go and run up and do the Three Peaks Challenge. Um, you can have an adventure that you make up. You just you dream up the idea. Uh, you do the preparation, obviously. So learning how to paddleboard, uh, learning which kit you need um, is essential. But you can actually go out and make a new challenge. And hopefully uh, the film will inspire people to do that and also to get more involved in paddleboarding because it's a much misunderstood sport, I think. Uh, how do you think it's misunderstood? 
I think in Britain, uh, most people are like, oh, you must be falling in a lot. Do you not get really cold every time you fall in? But I paddled all the way across the country and, and didn't fall in once. Um, and I think people go, oh, I wouldn't be able to stand on it. It's like, well, you can stand up straight. Can you ride a bike? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I never heard that before. I mean, I think a lot of people do think they're going to fall in. But after the first hour, you're yeah. absolutely fine. There's yeah. no, no problem at all. Absolutely. Yeah. And the canal water isn't clean. Some of it, um, I mean, up, up high was was relatively unpleasant, kind of how, well, not flowing water, so it was a bit stagnant. But none of us fell in up there. So mm. uh, I think people are a bit, oh, God, I couldn't do that. And also the, the weather in Britain, oh, my God, it must be really cold. I'm like, yeah, the water is, that's, but I haven't fallen in it, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny here because I'm based in Portugal <laughs> and uh, all, all the people I speak to throughout the winter, I've been paddling throughout the winter and saying, everyone's been saying, oh, it's so cold, how can you paddle? I said, well, you know, it's not really that cold, especially here in Portugal. And when you're wearing a wetsuit, you know, I have, I'm in the middle of, summer, middle of winter, I'm taking off my wetsuit because I'm just sweating yeah. so hard. yeah. As you yeah. say, you never fall in the water. So. Yeah, we, we don't like to talk about that, though, Spike, because I get jealous. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I totally agree with you. Um, one thing that I'm really interested in your view in is is these domestic adventures, because there certainly seems to be an appetite out there. And with you and Dave and um, Alistair Humphreys and so on, there's quite a lot of focus on it. Why do you think people are so interested in, in this whole area of adventure? Uh, well, you can go uh, and travel to the other side of the world uh, and have great adventures out there. And I am uh, guilty of uh, indulging in a little bit of that uh, in terms of kind of getting up the, the mountain leading experience and such like. But one of the greatest things about Britain and Ireland is the variety of landscapes. And if you go out there and have an adventure, you do see your home country that you've lived in for 20 or 30 or great great number of years and you're just like wow i didn't actually realize this bit was here and i've traveled down that way so many times on the train back to my hometown in plymouth uh but i didn't actually really take in that part of the country um so to see it at paddleboarding pace you just kind of take it in far more and uh, get to enjoy it in a very different way um so i think having adventures close to home uh, as well as those overseas should be celebrated and I think the the beauty of paddleboarding as well is you're seeing things from a completely different angle, you know, from Absolutely. a river or from an ocean. So it helps us too. But that's a perfect segue to go into faraway trips like Martinique, right? Yeah, yeah. Did... Absolutely. So you and Dave got together. Did Dave just come up to you one day over a beer and say, hey, I'd like to paddle around the Caribbean? Uh, so uh, he was heading out there on a trip afterwards on a, a yacht um, with Emily Penn. And um, he, he planned this trip and he was looking for a photographer, a filmmaker. And um, I have a, a reasonable amount of experience in that area. And I kind of put up my hand and said, hi, Dave. Uh, and, um, yeah, sign me up. And I went out. And so tell us, tell us how he really got in touch with you. Were you just sort of sitting having coffee one day or, or what is the story in detail? It was a post on uh, his website, davecornfoyt.com, uh, looking for a filmmaker. Uh, I think he did it on Facebook, too. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like an ideal trip for me. I, I want to get more in stu stuck into to paddleboarding. And um, it's, I, was, I knew very little about the Caribbean. None of us had been to Martinique before. Uh, none of us had done open water paddling before um, in kind of open sea. 
and most of my friends thought I was off on some nice little jolly cruise around the uh, the Pacific Island, uh, around the uh, Caribbean island. But actually, we we had some quite serious conditions out there, some huge swell rolling in from the Atlantic, and also some some quite significant winds that would pick up by about eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, well, as everyone knows, paddling against a, a headwind uh, is tough. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first I heard of it was when I saw you guys milling around the airport on Facebook, because I also followed Dave Cornthwaite on, on Facebook. And uh, and then you seemed to bump into um, hundreds of Miss World contestants. <laughs> yeah, it was the it was the French uh, Miss Nationale, um, which is a, a beauty pageant, uh, and they happened to be sharing the same hotel as us. Um, Unfortunately, the American teammates were delayed uh, by, oh, I think it's about 24 hours. So we were stuck in this hotel with um, all these beauty, all. beauty queens or beauty princesses. And uh, yeah, there's was, was worse places you could be stuck. So naturally, you taught them how to paddleboard, right? No, unfortunately, we didn't get them out on the water. Uh, I think they had to go off somewhere else to do the bikini shoot or something. So um, we just got out on the Origin paddleboards and, and had a play around um, below the hotel. Okay, and the planning for this trip um, was, again, the trip was sponsored by Origin again, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and Aquapack. Uh, and they uh, they it was planned in a relatively short amount of time again um and yeah these things do require a lot of work to kind of pull off successfully in terms of the preparation the kit sourcing and getting kind of those things shipped through from amazon to arrive hopefully before your flight leaves um but we got the kit sorted and uh and then headed out um i knew david and ben uh but the american teammates uh they were new to me and they were also quite new to uh, the ocean because they they lived from uh, lived in Sioux Falls, which is about as far away from the sea as you can get in the whole of the United States. So it was all brand new to you guys. So how did you fare in that first day getting through the shore break? What did, what did it feel like? So we luckily we started on the sheltered side of the island um, and got out and it is amazing. I think this is another thing that's misunderstood about paddleboarding is how stable the board is once it's loaded with your kit and when you're doing that touring, you can stay upright, um, even in reasonable amount of swell, um, for, for most of the time, if not all of the time. Um, and uh, yeah, we paddled out and went and saw this amazing island, uh, Diamond Rock, which was held by the British uh, as a little outpost. And they sat, got a cannon to the top of that and took shots at the passing French and the passing Portuguese and Spanish, uh, which annoyed those navies a bit. Um, but they held that rock for quite a while. Uh, so we went back uh, just to, to, to celebrate that little bizarre bit of history uh, of the garrison that held that that volcanic rock sticking out of the ocean. Did you reclaim it for the UK? Uh, we definitely flew the flag there. We, we couldn't land there uh, due to the swell, actually, uh, and the volcanic rock, very sharp, uh, with a uh, inflatable paddleboard. It's not good to, to rip it to shreds or get some punches on, on day one. So um, we didn't climb to the top and fly the flag but um uh, i still think uh part of me still thinks it's british Great. so were there any problems like puncturing your boards or other kinds of hassles that you had to worry about apart from the major swells so we we didn't get a single puncture in, in those boards uh, despite the kind of volcanic rock and volcanic sand up in the north of the island and 
the biggest challenge I think was uh, pulling in on on the exposed east coast uh, with the the Atlantic rollers coming in, and then the next day we set out early around about the time of dawn, and we couldn't get through the swell. Uh, the waves were were so big uh, that getting a fully laden paddleboard out through huge waves um, was was quite a feat. Um, and in the end, we had to hold up on that little beach camp uh, between the cliff and the the breakers um, for another day. Uh, and luckily, the swell was passable, just about passable the next day. Uh, we pushed out beyond those, those breakers uh, to paddle further on down the coast. Did anybody get hurt trying to get out through the breakers in the first day? Uh, there was a few wipeouts, but uh, people kind of persevered um, and uh, and gave it a, a damn good punt. But um, no, no, there's no injuries. Uh, everything kind of thrown off the board when you kind of like pick up the floating dry bags, pick up the board, and then, oh, actually, there was someone on this board. Pick up them as well. Uh, <laughs> not not necessarily in that order. Yeah, what must be difficult about a, a situation like that when, you, when you've got adverse conditions and there's a team of you, what are there, five or six of you? Five of us, yeah. Five of you. Um, surely some people just start getting really down and, and, and just, you know, just wanting to go home and things like that. Does that did that uh, disrupt the trip at all? Any no, problems? I mean, the, there was kind of a huge amount of, of positivity in the team and it's like, right, well, okay, uh, ben, you, you didn't succeed on your first attempt to get through those breakers. And uh, you, do you want to turn and take a breather on the beach, or do you want to go back? It's like, no, no, no I'm going to go straight back out there. And it's like, wow. I mean, and uh, so kind of getting back on the board, and then just kind of you're watching for that little gap um, in the sets, and then uh, getting them out through that. And uh, we got got first two off, then got David out with his big board and a lot of kit, including a drone, and then uh, got Rob out, and I was like, right, okay, I'm, I'm the last man, okay, so, uh, right, I need to get through this somehow, and didn't have someone to tell me when the set gap was, but um, managed to push through, luckily found a, a lucky gap. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so it's really nice that you had a great team like that, because I, I think, I remember, I read Reynold Fiennes' book about, uh, one of his many books, about going through the Antarctic, and he was saying that the worst thing on a trip is to have an, a, a difficult problem with a team member oh, so it must certainly. be horrendous yeah have you experienced that before absolutely and i think the most important thing about preparing for a trip um is choosing a team and you need to look at kind of how you complement each other and you're going to spend a long time together the only conversation you're going to have out at sea is just with that one person are you going to be able to kind of get on with them are you going to get on with them well um, so I think it's uh, really, really kind of one of the biggest challenges to a friendship um, is to kind of go out there on an expedition. Um, the people I've done paddleboarding trips with, I, I've got on well with, uh, but I've, uh, some people I've done mountaineering trips with, which uh, I wouldn't invite them to join another expedition. Mm -hmm. Sure. I just sometimes, maybe it's a little bit naivety, but uh, I sometimes think that people are bonded by the same experience. You know, if you're a stand-up paddleboarder, oh, wow, we all do stand-up paddle, we all love nature and da-da-da, and we all get along fine. But not necessarily the case, is it? No, and uh, it is still, particularly in the UK, there's, there's very few people who uh, are involved in the sport actively uh, and, and are keen to kind of get out there. Um, but more and more of my friends are like, ah, oh, this actually seems quite interesting. C can I join one of your trips? I don't know how to paddleboard, but I I'm keen to learn. Can, can you teach me? And then we can go out and do one of these next uh, touring trips that you've got uh, in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. 
So what was it like working with Dave? I mean, it was not working, but I mean, expeditioning with Dave, as it were, because he's, he's larger than life. I mean, he's a really, he's a really sort of famous adventurer these days, isn't he? Yeah, he's a great character, and he's got some great experience of kind of the long haul. This was a relatively short expedition for him, uh, just, just 12 days out on the water. Well, 11 days and one day stuck on the beach. Um, but uh, And he's got a great amount of experience of paddleboarding and the kind of camp life. And um, then uh, kind of getting sponsors on board to kind of really give some gusto to the, uh, the trip with the right kit. Mm, I'm sure. I mean, he's he's holds the Guinness World Rec- Book of Records for the longest paddleboard ever. I think it's still held by him. Actually, if do you know if it's that's correct or not? Yes, I, I believe he does still hold that. And uh, I would mm. uh, invite any any listener uh, who thinks that they're game to to take on that challenge, and they yeah. could have a, a great paddleboarding experience. I think it could make a great next episode of South FM. Well, yeah, we've invited Dave and, and he's just a bit busy at the moment in the Far East, but he is going to hopefully get on board with us as soon as he can, because we'd love to hear about his 2,000 mile trip down the, the Mississippi. I think it's 2,000 and more. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's certainly a long way, that river. Another chap we, we're thinking of getting on as well is called Chris Burtish. He's a South African paddleboarder and he was attempting to paddle across the Atlantic. He hasn't done it yet, though. i am uh, be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, it's quite a long way. Would you join him? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, one of the, the greatest things about paddleboarding is you get such a great, um, you get to take in the environment and see so much more of it than you do when you're, you're kayaking. If we kayaked across Britain, we just would have seen a lot of riverbank, given the height of the riverbank. Whereas when you're paddleboarding, you see uh, the landscape around you, you get to take in far more. If we're paddling across the Atlantic, we just see far more Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> and some more Atlantic. Is it blue over there? Yeah, no, it's looking a bit grey. Um, uh, or white, Absolutely. depending on the wind. But uh, So it, it sounds like an interesting adventure. I'm not sure if I'd, uh, I'd go for it, um, So, but I wish him the very best of luck. Spike, yeah. just, just on that topic and um, you know, talking about Martinique again, did you see any wildlife out there? Because uh, not many sharks around the, uh, the UK um, coast. Well, there are a few small ones, but uh, did you see anything in that line out there? Yeah, there was a, a, a shark sighting close to one of the other boards. I had turtle. We saw turtles a few times, and turtles some, sometimes kind of surface right next to the paddleboard and go, "What on earth are you? Who, who, I mean, kind of who are you, and what are you doing here?" Uh, looking quite surprised. Um, and um, we also uh, we met a, a very friendly um, Martinique gentleman well a french gentleman who's moved to martinique and uh he then came up to the top of the island and camped out with us one night uh, but before we set up camp he went out and caught a couple of barracuda uh well actually six barracuda but some fell off the line and uh, we had a good barbecue that night uh enjoyed wow. enjoying a, a good barbecue grill so spike what's next what's next well so i've done cross england um and really i mean the next challenge logical to go north um and cross scotland uh up the great glen uh if we've got a tailwind there that'd be far more achievable than paddling against the headwind all the way through that um and that's a shorter distance um uh but an amazing landscape and then uh there's less so just on that would you be paddling through lochs or, or going through a river yeah so it's lochs in the uh scottish sense a loch is a, a big lake um, and there are a few uh, of the more log- uh, more uh, 
traditional canal locks to get up into that. But then, yeah, going up these big lakes uh, between Fort William and Inverness. Actually, I think some guys have done it before um, from WESAP. I'm pretty sure I saw a video about it. I'm not sure. Maybe I yeah, should send it yeah. to you if you haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's not, not going to be a world up. first. But, um, no, but it, it'll be good fun, I'm sure. Yeah, and then uh, also looking to uh, head over to uh, Ireland. Uh, I'm half Irish and the longest river in the British Isles is the River Shannon. So looking to do that from source to sea uh, later this year. Gee, that sounds exciting. Yeah. That um, sounds great. Where can we find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Spike Reed, and that's S-P-I-K-E-R-E-I-D. On Facebook, it's the Paddleboard River Project, and uh, that is to uh, encourage people, more people to get out on British and Irish waterways by Paddleboard, uh, the Paddleboard River Project on Facebook. Excellent. Great. Well, um, Spike, it's been fantastic having you on board, and um, thank you very much for joining us for SUPFM Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you very much, Simon, and thank you to Cheers. the listeners. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you in the water. <laughs>